Tech Writer Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 700 for the 3rd of July, 2020. This week, it's essential to use a virtual private network on portable devices that connect to Wi-Fi hotspots or open networks. Although it's a good safety practice to use a VPN on a desktop system with a wired connection, you might find it's not possible. In short circuits, if your office job still has you working from home, you should have a virtual private network, and we'll look at some other important security measures. Many of us are still staying at home most of the time. To reduce the boredom, you might consider picking up a new skill or two. Your local library can probably provide help with that. In spare parts, only on the website, a minor Windows Explorer annoyance turned out to be an easy fix. I'll explain what the problem was and how I corrected it. Microsoft's Windows Insider program is changing. Some of the changes are semantic, but it appears that there will be an increased emphasis on quality. And 20 years ago, Time Warner Columbus told Roadrunner users that there would no longer be an extra charge to connect more than one home computer to the internet. Things that once seemed excessive sometimes become normal. Just about everybody has a home computer with a large monitor, maybe two of them, and a lot of storage. Home networks and internet connections are common. Not too many years ago, only security freaks used virtual private networks. Now they're almost common, more so on mobile devices than on home computers, though. VPNs usually cost a few dollars a month, and they can be used on multiple devices simultaneously. I have a VPN installed on the desktop computer, a tablet computer, an iPad, and an Android phone. Until recently, the VPN was always active on the phone, whenever I took the tablet computer or iPad out of the house, and only occasionally on the desktop computer. For a while, the VPN was active on all devices all the time. The exceptions were for sites that do not accept connections from VPNs. Some streaming services block VPN connections because they can't tell what country the connection is coming from. The media companies have contracts that specify the country's viewers can be in. PayPal once blocked VPN connections, but seems not to now. Using a VPN does obscure your computer's IP address, which can be used to identify the computer. Some criminals use VPNs to mask their IP address so they can't be tracked. Still, criminals use a lot of things, and nobody has moved to block the general use of all those things. But there is another reason why the VPN is back to being active on the main computer only when needed. VPNs are important because using public Wi-Fi found at airports, hotels, and cafes is risky. Public Wi-Fi systems are simply not secure. Even crooks that aren't too bright can intercept your data on a public Wi-Fi system unless you're using a VPN application. And this includes user IDs, passwords, emails, chats, and anything else that you send via the system. A VPN creates a secure tunnel by encrypting the data. When you use a VPN, your data is hidden from snoopers. 
but you may also find that some public Wi-Fi networks block VPNs. That's unfortunate and not very smart, because one of the primary reasons for using a VPN is to avoid the dangers posed by public Wi-Fi systems. The good news is that respected VPNs are usually not blocked. These include services like Private Internet Access, ExpressVPN, ProtonVPN, NordVPN, and Surfshark. I used Private Internet Access for quite a long time and currently use NordVPN, but all of the ones I just named, and probably a lot more, are reliable. If your VPN is routinely rejected on a public Wi-Fi network, you have a couple of possible responses. First, check with your VPN provider to find out if they're aware that they're being blocked by public Wi-Fi providers and what their recommendations are for solving the problem. If they have recommendations, use them. If you're still being blocked, check with the provider of the public Wi-Fi system to see if they can do anything. If not, maybe you shouldn't be patronizing that particular business. The primary disadvantage to using a VPN is that it may slow the connection because of the process that encrypts and decrypts the data and sending the data through a third-party server. Most reputable VPN providers have eliminated or at least reduced that problem. That's why I recently decided to enable the VPN permanently, even on the desktop system. The performance reduction was minimal, and the VPN made it impossible for my internet service provider to capture information about my use of the internet and sell it. I don't know that my internet service provider collects and sells data about me, but it's easy enough to eliminate the possibility. That all sounds good, so I owe you an explanation of why it's no longer active all the time. We'll get to that. First, let's take a look at some of the key providers. NordVPN works on Windows, macOS, Linux, iOS, iPad, iOS, Android, and others. The service has more than 5,000 servers in 60 countries. If you decide to sign up for NordVPN, don't take the first offer they show you, which is $125 for three years. Not bad, but if you wait a few days, you'll receive a message offering the same deal for $99. Private Internet Access, which is the service I used previously, has 3,300 servers in 32 countries. It runs on Windows, Mac OS, Linux iOS, iPad OS, Android, and others. Surfshark is relatively new. It has only 500 servers in 50 countries, and it runs on Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, iPad OS, and Android. By the way, you'll find links to all of these services this week on the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Next, ProtonVPN. It has a free version, but that means there are limitations. If you choose the free version, you're limited to one device at a time and slower speeds. The paid version offers more than 800 servers in 50 countries, and it runs on the usual cast of characters, Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, iPad OS, and Android. And ExpressVPN has versions for Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, iPad OS, and Android. It has more than 2,000 servers in 94 countries. Some VPN providers have versions that can be used with your router. This may eventually become the preferred method of using a VPN, but currently I prefer to install and activate the VPN application on each device that needs it because that gives me better control. 
Virtual private networks usually offer at least two or three protocols. These include OpenVPN, Internet Key Exchange Version 2, Layer 2 Tunneling Protocol, Secure Socket Tunneling Protocol, and Point-to-Point Tunneling Protocol. So the question is, which one to choose? OpenVPN, period. If your VPN offers OpenVPN, use it. It is the most recently developed protocol, and it's fast. NordVPN users will find this in the Advanced section of Settings. It's listed as Obfuscated Servers OpenVPN. If that's not an option for you, here's a quick summary of the other options. And if you want to read a detailed explanation of the protocols, see VPN Mentor's VPN Protocol Comparison. You'll find a link to that on the TechBiter Worldwide website. In brief, Internet Key Exchange version 2 is a good choice for mobile devices because it can reconnect on the fly. Layer 2 Tunneling Protocol is also known as IPSEC, Internet Protocol Security. It's a good choice if OpenVPN isn't available. SSTP is a Microsoft protocol, dates back to the days of Vista. It should be avoided. And point-to-point tunneling protocol is an antique that, although still widely supported, should be avoided. Activating the VPN permanently immediately revealed a couple of problems. Applications such as Adobe Creative Cloud and Microsoft Office 365 run entirely on the computer. That is, they are not cloud-based, but they are software as a service and must occasionally check in to confirm that the license is current. When Adobe Creative Cloud is unable to connect, you'll see an offline indicator at the top of the Creative Cloud app and a notice that you have no internet connection, even though you do. Microsoft's message is a bit more obscure. There's just a brief notice that says, we're unable to connect right now. The notice doesn't say who we are or what we want to connect to, but eventually I figured out it was Microsoft. Both Microsoft and Adobe applications will continue to work for several months without an internet connection, but you won't receive updates. Other features may also be disabled, such as the ability to synchronize typefaces. That's because as far as Adobe is concerned, the connection is broken. And you'll see these offline messages even though the network indicator in the notification area clearly shows that the computer has a network connection with internet access. Fortunately, this is an easy fix, but you do need to dig deep into the Windows Network Settings panel. There is a very involved graphic on the TechBiter Worldwide website this week that shows the path to all of these things. You open the Network Status in the Settings app and click Change Adapter Options. This will open the Network Connections dialog, and you'll see several options there. Look for the one that includes Tap NordVPN in the description and right-click it choose Properties from the dialog box. Ethernet Properties will then open. Select Internet Protocol version 4 from the list, being careful not to clear the checkmark in the box at the left, and click Properties. The Internet Protocol version 4 Properties dialog will open. You then want to confirm that Obtain IP Address Automatically and Obtain DNS Server Address Automatically are both selected. Click the Advanced button to open the Advanced TCP IP settings. Then open a command prompt and type the command that you'll find on the TechBiter Worldwide website. This will return a value for your router's default gateway. 
you might already know what it is, and if you do, you don't need to do this step. In most cases, it will be 192.168.0.1, but another common value, and the one I happen to use, is 192.168.1.1, and there are other addresses that are possible. Then you want to click the Add button below the Default Gateways section to open the TCPIP Gateway Address dialog. See, I told you we'd be digging deep here. Select Automatic Metric and then fill in the default gateway IP that you identified with the previous command. Check to be sure that the IP address is correct, and then click Add, and click OK on each of the dialog boxes until all of them have closed. Your computer will probably display at least two network adapters and might show more. Now listen to this, and I found this out rather late in the game. It is important to update the default gateway for every one of them. Office 365 and Creative Cloud then worked normally. So about the time I thought that the problems were solved, I noticed that the online backup service crash plan was stuck at 99.9%. It should report 100% most days and anything less only on days when I've added a lot of large files. So that was concerning. When I opened the crash plan control panel, the display indicated that it was waiting for a connection. After working with Nord tech support for nearly three hours, and 90 minutes of that was with one extremely helpful and dedicated technician, the problem had been reduced but not eliminated. Crash plan connected and backed up some files, but then it reports the most recent completed backup was more than a day ago. The workaround, while I waited to see if CrashPlan could figure out why their application won't work with NordVPN, was simply to disable the VPN on the desktop computer. The VPN isn't a necessity on the desktop computer the way it is on mobile devices. If I need the VPN to be active, I can have it initiate a connection. Although that's not the ideal solution, it was an acceptable workaround and even a marginally acceptable long-term solution. The moral of the story is that a virtual private network can be a good safety feature and an essential security feature when you're using any device that connects to a public network or a Wi-Fi hotspot, but it can be a challenge to set up and configure. A desktop or notebook computer that connects to the Internet via a router is less at risk than a mobile device. It's also important to understand that some websites will refuse connections that arrive from a VPN because they can't tell where the connection is coming from. When you encounter that response, you have two options. Leave the site or disable the VPN. And after more than two weeks of wrestling with CrashPlan to find a way to make it work through the VPN, and after asking, do you have any clients who use CrashPlan with NordVPN three times, I finally received a straight answer. And the straight answer is this, and I quote, Unfortunately, CrashPlan for small business is not supported for running through a VPN. So the experience of it working when you disable the VPN is what is expected. Had someone at CrashPlan simply answered that question when I first asked it, several hours of needless frustration for Nord Tech Support and me would have been eliminated. So my final words on the topic are these. Using a VPN on a desktop computer that's connected to the router or a modem with an Ethernet cable isn't essential, even though it does offer some additional privacy protections. Where it's essential 
is on smartphones, tablets, notebooks, convertibles, and all other portable devices. So, it's okay to turn off the VPN on a desktop system if it gets in the way of more important applications. If you find these podcasts useful, and I hope you do, might you consider a donation? There are no ads here, and support from listeners is the sole source of income. It's easy. Just visit the website and click the Donate button near the top of any page. You can make a one-time donation or schedule a repeating donation every month. I thank you. And so does the cat. In short circuits, a lot of office workers are now working from home, and a lot of them might be doing so for quite some time. Companies that had at-home workers had a big advantage when the coronavirus hit the fan because many of them already had a VPN for those who worked from home. Working from home is one case where, despite what I said in this week's main article, a VPN is necessary. For the last couple of years before I retired, I worked from home. My wife works from home. We were not allowed to use our own computers. Instead, the company provided notebook computers and, if we wanted them, monitors, mice, keyboards, and other peripherals. I didn't need any of those because I had two monitors, a keyboard and a mouse, that could easily be shared between my computer and the office computer with the touch of three buttons, one to switch the keyboard and mouse and one to switch each of the monitor connections. When the office computer booted, it established a connection through a VPN to the corporate servers. Then the login process was accomplished using RSA Secure ID software that had replaced a physical key fob that we'd used previously. The company also has substantial security measures around data to and from clients and while it's on the server. For a company like that, adding at-home workers is trivial because most of the work had already been done. Companies that had no telecommuters have to rush to implement security measures, and some of the implementations are far less than adequate. Companies that had already assigned notebook computers to office workers could just send those computers home with employees. Others had a choice. They could buy and set up a bunch of new computers, or they could have employees use their own computers. That decision having an employee use a computer that already exists at home, is the worst possible choice for security. But it might have been the only feasible option in some cases. If that happens to describe your situation and the corporate IT department hasn't yet audited your computer, there are several actions you should perform as soon as you can. Most of them aren't difficult. Now, I'm going to assume here that it's a Windows computer because that is what most offices use. So, some things you can do. If your computer is running Windows 7 or anything earlier, talk to your manager immediately because you are a disaster waiting to happen. Windows 8.1 is acceptable, but Windows 10 is the best option. Make sure the computer is set up to receive security updates automatically. You don't have to take the feature updates if you don't want them, but at least allow the security updates to install. Your computer should have a user account with a strong password. It is possible to set up a computer so that no password is required, and that may be okay for home users. It is not acceptable for office work. 
If your router also provides Wi-Fi, set up a long and complex passphrase. You can also have the router stop broadcasting its SSID or make the SSID something obscure that doesn't identify you. Your company may already have a VPN and you should be required to use it. When you're at the home office and using the corporate VPN, all of your internet traffic will go through the corporate server. Now, if your company doesn't have a VPN, you can at least make your connection more secure by choosing one of the providers I mentioned in this week's main article. The company might, actually the company should, reimburse you for that expense. Your router may have a primary network and a guest network. It's a good idea to place whichever computer is being used for office work on one network and all the other devices in the home on the other network. And last, be extremely careful, suspicious, and maybe even a little bit paranoid about any emails or messages you receive. Crooks see home office workers as potential gold mines. Don't let your computer be the one that gives crooks access to the corporate network. Maybe you have a little extra time around the house these days. If you're working from home, your commute time has dropped to zero. Some of us, particularly those in at-risk groups, are still unwilling to do a lot of activities that take us outside, so boredom can set in. What used to be lynda.com is now LinkedIn Learning, and it's probably the biggest general information learning site on the web. It's a great way to learn something while you're at home. but it can be expensive for the casual learner, somebody who might want to pick up a new skill every couple of months. Expensive is relative, of course. You'll need to be a LinkedIn premium subscriber, $30 a month or $240 if you pay for a year's subscription in advance. Maybe you want to learn about email marketing, uh, Python programming language, microphones and sound editing, search engine optimization, accounting, word processing, creative writing, time management. These are all covered. But if you don't need a LinkedIn premium membership otherwise, you might be able to find a free option. Check with your local public library because it may offer access to LinkedIn learning and other educational resources. All you need is a library account and you can log on to LinkedIn learning from home. If your local library doesn't offer that service, check nearby libraries and then also check large libraries in the state. Some of the larger libraries in each state offer accounts to anyone in the state. And then you can cut down on the boredom and learn something too. Another good use of your extra time might be reading spare parts. And this week you'll find these articles on the website. A minor Windows Explorer annoyance turned out to be an easy fix. I'll explain what the problem was and how I corrected it. Microsoft's Windows Insider program is changing. Some of the changes are semantic, but it appears that there will be an increased emphasis on quality. And 20 years ago, Time Warner Columbus told Roadrunner users there would no longer be an extra charge to connect more than one home computer to the Internet. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. 
And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.